0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here, and uh, welcome to those who join us online. I, I, sometimes we forget about them. There are some that don't even live around here, and they, they join with us every Sunday, and um, and again, be in prayer for those that aren't able to be with us today for various health reasons and other reasons of uh, uh, that they're, they're away. Anyways, we're in the book of Hebrews. Again, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're looking at this um, Expositional study out of the book of Hebrews, and the theme of the book of Hebrews is Christ who is better. Christ who is better. That word better appears over and over again in this uh, epistle, and it is an epistle that I think, again, is key to understanding who Jesus Christ really is. Uh, couple that with the rest of the Bible, of course, but when you look at this uh, book, this epistle written to the Hebrews, uh, we understand why jesus had to come who he is and um, we examine him and going through this you'll find indeed he's better he's better than the old testament prophets he's better than angels he's uh, his sacrifice was better than any of the sacrifices that man could bring and his salvation is better it is better in every way well, we're going to read here um, Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll probably read down through verse 7. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end therefore as the holy spirit says today if you will hear his voice let's let's pray god we are grateful grateful for the word of god grateful for how you've revealed it to us and even now lord as we open up your bible you present jesus to us the one who is better than all things and is the best. We thank you for that and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We come to this uh, section here of Scripture and we see the consideration of Christ. That's what it says. It says, Therefore, brethren, right? Holy brethren, uh, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. You now, whenever you see the word therefore, remember chapter 2, we looked at that and uh, the last two messages out of this and we looked at how. Um, that Christ came into this world as a man and put on flesh, uh, but he's better than just sinful man. He's, he's sinless in every way. And he's not only our, um, our Savior, but he's our sympathizing Savior because he was a man. And he understands what it's like to be a human being walking on this earth. And he knows what it's like to feel the pains of, of a sinful, cursed world and the joys that are also in that world. <coughs> excuse me as I get back into my water here my wife asked me if I needed a water and I said no I think I'm okay but anyways you see I was wrong it's only about well, three minutes into the message that's it but, uh, and happy birthday you missed out on our Sunday school time but anyways we won't yeah she'll kill me if I say any more so let's just move on <laughs> alright anyways we're back to this here but the bible says um, consider consider and we were looking at that and the consideration of jesus christ is that we have such a savior who has indeed felt the very things we feel and is our sympathizing savior in that way but he's more than that he's god And we see that over and over again, again, presented in this book, the book of Hebrews. He's the one who was the upholder and creator of all things, as chapter 1 says. And he's also the one who is better than anything in creation, because he is the creator. And we'll look some more at that as we we dig into this today. and um, it says here consider the apostle and high priest of our confession now the confession here as he calls the people here holy brethren he's referring to hebrew people but (coughs) they were also those who professed to be in god's uh, i would say his people and that's what the holy brethren that uh, paul or the writer here addresses we don't know if it's paul but it's very pauline in his writing Um, as he writes to them these are people who were professing to believe something but not all possessed the faith that's that's important to understand because we're going to see it here in this chapter and throughout this book there was a danger of some who professed from turning away from true faith and going back to the old things that could not save those old testament sacrifices and the old ways of rituals and um, things that were indeed some of them god ordained things but people were placing their their faith in those things and not on in god and there was a danger of some after hearing the truth hearing the word of god and being understanding of who jesus christ is turning away from him as messiah and so he writes to these holy brethren and we are to consider that and by the way um, we too are called holy and the church as far as uh, we are called holy in many ways we have a calling and it says that it says holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling and indeed the calling in which he calls us to salvation is a heavenly calling it, come, it came from heaven it, it was God's plan before we even came into existence it was God's heavenly calling and he is like that. And by the way, the Bible talks about that uh, in different ways. We find out that it's a holy calling. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul there writes, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. So it is a holy calling, a separate calling. Not something that's just, I know we use that word calling sometimes to refer to vocations and those kind of things. But the calling in Christ comes from him and it's holy And then again, in chapter 3, verse 1, as we read there, it's a heavenly calling. It comes from heaven. And then if you go to Philippians chapter 3, (coughs) we read there, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now Paul's talking about his calling. And he goes on to say this, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call It's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so we see that this call is a holy calling, a heavenly calling, but it's also a high calling. It's a calling that points us heavenward. And as you follow Jesus Christ and are obedient to him, our lives should reflect that high calling. And everything else needs to be filtered through that when we view the things of this world. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. (coughs) And if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal even this to you. And again, we see that it is a high calling, and we're to have that mindset. So when the writer in chapter 3 of Hebrews writes he's talking about that now he also talks about the one who is our apostle and our high priest and that's a reference to christ and in every in uh, in the aspect of jesus christ in his in his ministry in his life he is both an apostle and he's also a high priest and an apostle the simplest form or meaning of the word means one who is sent and indeed jesus was sent from god the father to us and his ministry is one such as an apostle one who is sent he came to us that's the direction that god comes as an apostle but he also is our high priest and that's the direction that man needs to go to one who can intercede on our behalf and so you see how in that one person of jesus christ he represents both those things we see that in the new testament as well in Luke chapter 2 you remember the story there Jesus at age 12 is teaching in the temple and there are people there that are gathered and they're confounded at his wisdom and as a 12 year old well it's because he had the wisdom of the ages didn't he you imagine having the creator himself teaching and uh, instructing you wow you know what a powerful thing well uh, they find out that as the family gets ready to leave, they leave and they get about a day's journey away and they realize that Jesus is not with the rest of the family. Have you ever left a child behind somewhere? Uh, I, I've been guilty of that. Sorry. I think Lydia's looking at me. That that does happen. I have gone home from here before. <clears throat> I'm glad she drives now. So, But uh, I've gone home from here only to realize that one of my kids was out playing with the kids on the playground or was, you know, when they were younger, they were on the playground doing the swinging and everything else. And I get home and I'm like, uh-oh, I forgot they were that. Well, you know, and actually I've had Julie Gugliamo remind me of that a couple times. Did you forget something? And she texts and I'm like, yeah, okay. So anyway, she teases me about that. But listen, we do sometimes forget the most important things. And the family of Jesus thought he was in the company, but nobody really checked on him. They have to go back to Jerusalem. They find him teaching in the temple. And you know, when they ask him, why did you do this? Why didn't you, you know, the assumption, why didn't you come with us? He says this. He said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? You see, he was fulfilling his ministry as an apostle. By going to man. And bringing a message to man think about that well i'm glad that jesus is like that and he also is one who is our high priest that we can go to so that he can plead our case before god in the book of hebrews chapter four we'll come to this in our study in more detail but these verses which i've already quoted already in previous messages but we see jesus who is a better priest he is a great high priest Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody here have any needs? Anybody here need help? yeah yeah i wake up in the morning sometimes i look at the day ahead and i think lord help me just help me and then and then you get those phone calls you know or a a message from somebody or you meet somebody and you hear the stories of their life and those kind of things going on and sometimes it's a very urgent matter and and all you can say is lord i need a helper here and jesus is our high priest and we can go immediately to him you see He's better in that because in the Old Testament, as you read through it, and I know if you're in your Bible reading, and and I hope you are, remember back in the beginning of January, I encourage you to get in the Word of God and read it every day and try to go through your Bible this year. I don't know if anybody's on task to do that. I hope you are. Uh, i am still on task okay uh, I'm, I'm going in i'm thinking on day 47 or whatever it is and reading through the bible uh, i'm still in the new testament because i started in matthew and i'm going all the way through it that way and then coming back into genesis later on but it's amazing when you get into the word of god but then you get into the, like the book of exodus and then oh the book of leviticus wow you know that's hard reading and as you're listening to it and you're listening to the rituals that god instructed the children of israel to do and the feasts and the many many things they had to do and and all the things required a priest involved in these sacrifices and these offerings and these gatherings and everything else <clears throat> and one thing those things all said was this you have to stay out from the presence of God you see there was there was a high priest an earthly high priest and that earthly high priest was just a man as a matter of fact when he went in once a year on the day of atonement to offer a sacrifice for sin he first had to offer a sacrifice for himself you know why because he was a sinner we're sinners I don't care what your vocation is calling is your background is your your family whoever you're a sinner i'm a sinner and we need a savior and even the high priest the levitical high priest had to go in and offer a sacrifice first for himself then he would take a blood sacrifice an offering and sprinkle blood for the people in a second offering on that day and an atonement would be made And it was an aspect of faith. It was an aspect they believed God, and God told them to do this, so they trusted Him and did it. We come to the book of Hebrews, and it says those things could never take away sin. What takes away sin is the forgiveness that God offers through Christ as we trust Him by faith. We believe on Him. We're going to talk some more about that. It's that aspect of faith that saves, and the grace that He gives in the midst of that. But we need someone who can be a high priest for us and that we can go into his very presence anytime. And that's what the Bible says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. They couldn't come boldly in the Old Testament. The high priest there couldn't even go boldly into the presence of God. He had to go in and first offer a sacrifice for himself. But do you realize that when you're saved and you're forgiven of your sin and you're you're now declared righteous, that's Romans 5, right? Listen, you can now boldly go into his presence. Amen. That's why when we, we pray, and, and my friends, that's an aspect of the believer's life that often is so neglected. Do you realize that you can go to his very presence anytime, anytime. As I said, if you're driving and you want to pray, make sure you keep your eyes open. But the Bible does say watch and pray. We need to do that. That's how we ought to go through life. And we can say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need to come before you right now. Lord, this need has come up. And you can boldly go to him. But look, it goes on. And, and again, it's this idea that we have a, a, a priest who is um, able to save, and he's able to we're able to boldly go into his very presence. Anyways, <clears throat> I'm a little bit off my notes here, but we'll come back to this. Because we see this... Um, consideration of jesus christ and my friends the worst thing you could ever do is go through this life and never consider the person of jesus christ your eternity just depends on how you come up with the answers concerning him well we read a little bit more about him says who was faithful to him who appointed him as moses also was faithful in all his house now he the writer here goes into a comparison of Christ and Moses. Now keep in mind he's writing to the Hebrew people and the Jews in particular uh, venerated Moses as the greatest of prophets. And indeed Moses was a great prophet, wasn't he? He was a man that God raised up uh, even supernaturally. Remember that Moses shouldn't even have lived past his, uh, his early months of childhood because in the time Moses was born we read that in the book of Exodus, in the time that he was born, uh, Pharaoh had said, kill all the male children that come out of, uh, actually he didn't say kill, he said put them in the Nile, the, the assumption was they would drown, and he said all the male children that the Hebrew women have, and because the Hebrew people were out beginning to outnumber the Egyptian people, and they were enslaved in Egypt at that time and pharaoh saw the handwriting on the wall i thought hey they're going to be more powerful than me and and our people so we're gonna we're gonna have to just deal with this and he did it very harshly and moses's mother takes moses down puts him in a little basket uh and puts him in the nile and providentially because god was in control wasn't he pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe at the river and she hears a crying child and she takes moses into her family Oh, by the way, she was in nursing at the time and she needed a nurse. And and Moses' sister knew where to find one. It was her mom. Moses' mom. Oh yeah. And so Moses' mom and Moses get to be Moses gets to be raised in Pharaoh's household. Amazing. Amazing story. At age 40, Moses gets in trouble. He kills an Egyptian. He was doing what was right he's standing up for a man that was getting beaten and he ends up killing the guy that was beating him now he's worried is because he's 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 killed somebody so he flees for the next 40 years he's in the wilderness midian and he serves as a shepherd for 40 years and then at the end of that 40s he's now you know, he's 80 remember god speaks to him in the burning bush in that and commissions him to go back to egypt And to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And the story, the great story about that is that Moses indeed does that. And we have the miracles that take place there. And the deliverance through the Passover event. Everything else. And the defeat of the Egyptian army. And Moses is raised up a great prophet. And he's a picture of a greater one yet to come. Remember Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up you know jesus said if if i be lifted up from above the earth i will draw all men unto myself all people unto myself those things back when moses was in the wilderness and god told him to do something and god told him to uh, establish certain things and as moses did that um, he was again a great prophet so i'm not saying he wasn't a great prophet but he's not as good as jesus because jesus is better Moses was faithful in all his house now that's important because indeed Moses was a faithful man but he wasn't always faithful we record of Moses things that he did that evidence that he was indeed a sinner but yet God used Moses now Jesus was not a sinner there was no sin in Jesus no evidence of that whatsoever he goes on to say this, for this one, referring to Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Do you see the connection here? You see, there's one who has more glory, or is due more glory, than Moses, and he's a builder, and the one who builds is God and that's a direct reference to the son jesus christ jesus is god and the deity of christ is on display throughout this writing he who built all things is god he goes on to say and moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward but christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end now i want to look at that because um, we're going to we're going to talk some more about those verses but we have here the idea that moses built a house and jesus also built a house and now the reference to a house is not just a building but it is a group as well that goes with that and for moses he built a nation didn't he uh, in many ways, now they were already established as the Hebrew people, and Moses comes out of one of the families, the family of Levi, in the in the midst of uh, that uh, family of Israel. But it was Moses who delivers them, and then in that forty years of wandering in the wilderness and all of that, he establishes a house in that—not a perfect house by any means—but uh, he also was and further on we learn that moses did in in faithfulness what god told him to do when he came to build the tabernacle the tabernacle as you read through it in the old testament and uh in in particular you know when you look at the book of exodus it was this meeting place that god told them to build it was by god's design and it was a very interesting design. If you, it's a whole new study, or a good study if you go through it. And every aspect of that design pointed to a better one who would come. One whose glory would be veiled, just like the glory of God was revealed in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. There would be one who would come and dwell among us. And John says, and we would behold his glory, even as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we read of that physical structure that was built and designed by God, or built uh, designed by God, built by Moses. And we read of Jesus, who again is God's plan for us and the glory of God dwelling in Jesus. But anyways, he's comparing a little bit about that. And as Moses built a tabernacle in the wilderness, so jesus is god's tabernacle and there's a comparison that goes on and it says moses was faithful as a servant and he indeed was faithful in the building of the tabernacle we read of that if you look at exodus chapter 40 and i'm not going to read all these verses but i highlighted the important things because we have the instructions here of the tabernacle and moses Uh, is given these instructions by god and it and it says for instance verse 19 he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the lord had commanded moses verse 21 and parsioned off the ark of the testimony as the lord had commanded moses you see just exactly as the lord commanded it moses implements it right and then it goes on and the verse 23, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 27, and the Lord had commanded Moses. Right? You get the, the point of this. Verse 29, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 33, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle of the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate and so Moses finished the work you see a picture of a building that was made there that in this this tabernacle which uh, was like a tent-like structure with two compartments in it and there was the holy place and then the most holy place the holiest of holies And it was there the Ark of the Covenant was established in there. And it was there that a priest would go in and offer up a sacrifice. And he would do that outside, but he would take the blood of that sacrifice, going through one door, and he would enter in, and he would sprinkle that blood upon the Ark of the Covenant, the top, the mercy seat, which was a testimony for God. And God would accept that as an action of faith. but the work was really never finished because they had to do that over and over and over and over again every year. But the work of Jesus Christ is finished. When Jesus hung on the cross and he offered up his life, his blood as a sacrifice acceptable to God for the payment of your sin, he said, it is finished. And it's finished. It's the difference between the work that Moses established or through Moses was established and the work that Christ did. It is finished. There's a lot of other things, too, that you could look at with the tabernacle and in the wilderness. And you'd find out that (coughs) the design of it, (coughs) for instance, around this tent-like structure, there was uh, on the east side, or in in the entrance to that, the east side was a door. One door. The door had four pillars. And on those four pillars hung four curtains. The curtains were different colors. There was a, a purple curtain a scarlet a white and a blue curtain and every single thing we know from the book of hebrews that these things were a shadow of a greater to come they were not the substance of it but they were the things that would come after which they paint a picture really of who jesus christ is and his work of salvation if you think about it there's only one way into the very presence of god and it's through jesus jesus said i am the door right i am the door and he is the only way and he says that i am the way the truth and the life and no man comes onto the father except through me there's one way into the presence of god and it's through jesus christ Amen. you know that door was hung on four pillars and you know what we have four pillars that bear the testimony of jesus in the new testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one shows a different angle of who Jesus is. Just like the four colors of the curtains that were hung on there. You have the purple color. Shows the kingly nature. Purple being a a royal color. Associated with kings. And Matthew presents Jesus the king of the Jews. The king of the universe, really. We, We have Mark who presents him as the perfect servant, who goes and sacrifices his life for all of us. That's the scarlet, the blood offering of Jesus himself, his very life given. And then there's the white. And we find that in Luke's gospel as well, as Christ is presented as the one who is sinless, the one who is holy, the one who is pure, just like white symbolizes. And then you have blue. And blue denotes the heavens. And in the, Hebrew, in the Jewish um, Israeli flag today, it's a blue and white flag. The blue, as if you ask about what that represents, it represents heaven. Because when you look up into the heavens, you see a blue sky, right? And it represents us looking up into the heavens. And blue is the heavenly realm where Jesus came from. All wrapped up in the person of Christ and yet he's better than the old testament tabernacle he's better than moses you see moses was a servant and the servant meaning he was one who served jesus was more than a servant he was a son there's a big difference jesus was the one who built the or instructed the building god instructed the building of the tabernacle and the builder is more worthy of the, than the structure itself. And that's what the book of Hebrews says. And I've got to keep, keep this in mind because there were people who were in danger of moving away from the things they were learning and knowing and going back and clinging to those things that could not save. <clears throat> There's a danger of that. There's a danger that perhaps somebody sitting here today or listening in on this message or whatever could be sitting there and you are saying, well, I know a lot about who Jesus is and, and what that pastor, that preacher is talking about sort of makes sense, but I really don't think I want to embrace that. I would like to go back, find my own way, whatever. There's a million excuses we make. And the reality is this, there is no path for salvation backwards. It's forward in Christ. Absolutely. In that. In John chapter 17, Jesus said this, just as Moses finished the work as the Lord commanded, Jesus finished his work. In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, as it often is referred to, I have glorified you on earth. He's speaking to the Father. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, the Son and the Father have always been. They're eternal. Along with the Holy Spirit. You have the triune God. Often we refer to it as the Trinity. Uh, Trinity is not necessarily a biblical word. It is a description of a biblical uh, concept that comes out of Scripture. Scripture. In that. Three in one. Divine essence, one glory, all of that. And again, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For this one was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, he was. For a testimony of the things which would be spoken afterwards. So all that Moses did was to speak about something that would be greater afterwards. And that's where Jesus comes in. But Christ as a son over his own house. And by the way the Old Testament had the picture of the house being the house of Israel. In the New Testament it is the church of God. And it's a distinctly different but yet similar in many ways different i'd say organization it's not really an organization it's it's a in a sense of structure it is but an organism you know it is a living breathing entity called the church made up of of people who are are saved by faith uh both jew and gentile and there's no distinction and There's no distinction among the sexes, male or female, or the the servants like slaves and free. It's all, you're in Christ, you have equal standing under the church. Matter of fact, we read of that in the book of Ephesians. Paul there writes, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him it it says raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the what church which is his body The fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. You see, he is that way. He has brought to himself and bought to himself the church. In Hebrews 2, we looked at this. You remember a quotation from the Psalms. And again, I will put my trust in him and again... Here am I, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And the children he refers to really in this standing is the children who are by faith, those in the church. Now it says, but Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now I come to a controversial passage of scripture because people will look at this verse and they will say well if i if i hold fast the confidence if i hold fast to my faith then i will be saved i mean that's sort of what it says right at least you think so and all i'll say is that it says what it says all right Uh, i'm not going to try to change what it says but i will explain that the if that is used here is a if that is um it's not a, a conditional if. When you look at it, in the, it, it really suggests... The word if, in these. there's two verses. Actually, I'll read Hebrews 3.14 as well. It says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And again, the, on the surface of this, because of the way we think, we might think, uh, Oh, I have to be holding on to Christ to get to heaven the only problem with that is that some people don't always end their lives in the faith that they started or in the testimony probably be better the the faith is is really what is at stake here but their testimony might not be something that is we would say that person is a believer we might say no that person didn't at the end of their life they did not live like a believer lived like somebody who was an unbeliever perhaps and the judge of those things of true faith and where that transaction took place is of course left with the Lord but I I say it this way and this is how Bob Dowie used to explain it in this these two verses says the word if in these two verses does not suggest a condition by which we get saved it suggests the evidence that we are saved so there's a difference if I said to you for instance um, if i if I said to you that yeah uh, it's something like a, a metal, okay, if a metal has a certain molecular weight or whatever atomic weight should be the thing, then uh, it is gold all right that's something you objectively measure it doesn't mean that it's conditional that it's gold but rather that it's evidentiary that it's gold by its atomic weight anybody remember the atomic weight of gold it's in the periodic table and I, I've forgotten it too it's all right I haven't seen much gold and I haven't been considering it too much all well, that but there is something object you know objective that you can measure in at an atomic level to determine if something is gold or if it's something like lead that isn't gold right one is a lot more valuable than the other and you would condition those by saying if right it weighs this much it is gold but it doesn't make it gold gold is gold the same is true here for the believer you will continue on if you are a believer is really how that could be read and that is the condition in which or the uh, the way this this works in that uh, and again I say this, the word if in these two verses does not suggest a condition by which we get saved. It, is, it suggests the evidence that we are saved. The evidence that we are his house and are made partakers of Christ is that we have a faith which continues steadfast until the end. That faith is steadfast. It is sure. It is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not promoting backsliding, nor am I promoting walking away from the things you know to be true. If you're truly a believer, a Christian, listen, and you walk away from those things, you can do that. But we're in disobedience as soon as we do that. He doesn't want that. In verse 6 of Hebrews, and this is key here, it says, But Christ has a son over his house, whose house we What does it say? Are. So the people he's talking to here are believers. Are. Very important word. Are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So again, you see the aspect of this. It's it's not assumed. It's spelled right out. You are of the household of faith and your faith will continue. In verse 14, the same thing. For we are. Are, in the King James, it says, we are made partakers of Christ. Now, in the King, New King James, they've changed it to read like the Greek tense. For we have become partakers of Christ. That's a past tense action with a perfect, it's a, uh, in, its, in its order, it's a completed action that occurred in the past. I guess that's why I would want to explain it. You can say are, as in present tense, but it's really something that has accomplished and continues into the future. Always. And again, to explain that, for we have, in a past time, partaken of Christ. It carries actual ramifications, positive ones, that continue forever. If you're truly His by faith, you are His forever. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And so again, the evidence is that we hold our confidence and we're steadfast. Someday in heaven, it'll make sense. (laughs) Fully. I think no matter how bad you think you blew your testimony here, if you're really one of his, you're his. And I don't lay that out so that we just go out and sin. Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Absolutely not do not do that instead live for him and by the way we come to hebrews chapter 11 and we have that amazing verse there it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for what does it say next the evidence evidence of things not seen and i always find this kind of ironic because in this chapter follows those who are used as illustrations of faith and not all of them were like people i would have picked because some of them messed up greatly in their life and yet starts off by talking about faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen and you look at hebrews chapter 11 there in that whole chapter and you read a little bit more about it uh let me flip over to hebrews 11 i'll just point out a few people here in our our closing time but you have for instance Talking about verse 2, by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And then by faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. Uh, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Uh, by faith Enoch, and then it goes on it talks about uh, Enoch. And then Noah, get down to Noah. Now I want to say something about Noah. Now I don't want to pick on Noah. We all come from Noah by the way. when you read in the book of genesis the end of the life of noah do we see a good picture of noah walking in faith no we see a man who's drunk he's in his tent and his shame is uncovered now i'd love to think in my imagination that he repented of those things and died you know praying on his knees we don't have any other evidence outside of that that that's how noah ended and yet in hebrews 11 God uses him as a picture of faith. I think we can really mess up our life and, and, and mess up in the end bad, very badly. But if you are truly His, you were still going to be saved. Amen. <laughs> you know, I'm glad. Because there's days I, I blow it, and I mean that. I'm not, I say, Lord, you know, guard my testimony because it's your testimony. But there's days my attitude shows. My, my thoughts I'm thinking man I can't be a Christian but then I look back and I say it's not me it's him Amen. it's evidenced in him and you could go down through and you could talk about Noah how about Abraham and Sarah they're next Abraham you know he didn't believe God could keep him and protect him and all that remember Abraham goes down to Egypt with Sarah and he's worried they're going to take Sarah because she's a beautiful woman he lies Abraham was a liar Yet God would make a nation out of him. And then when, remember, the Lord comes and speaks to him, tells him that Sarah's going to conceive, she laughs. (laughs) And it wasn't a laugh like, just kind of like, oh, the irony of it. It was a laugh that really was a laugh that thought it's impossible. Have you ever doubted God to the point where you think things are impossible or maybe it's impossible and your doubts come in and they're so great, your doubts overwhelm you? And you know what? Sarah had a son. And she actually named him laughter. Now that was ironic. Because indeed, Isaac was something that, you know, was brought laughter, but it was in faith afterwards. But yeah, then Isaac also, he's mentioned in there, he had a problem, he lied too. And, and then you have later Jacob and Esau. And Jacob deceives his brother. And Jacob's in there as a, as one who is a man of faith, an evidence of faith. And you could go down through all of that and you could see these different people. Uh, Samson is mentioned and Jephthah and all that. Samson, we just got out of the book of Judges and we went through the life of Samson. How is it that Samson could be an illustration of faith? I mean, he just, everywhere Samson went, he was all about himself until the very end. And in the end, he slew more than he did in his whole life. But he ends in a very sad state, blinded because they've poked his eyes out, because of his sin, in a state of weakness and in a, an enslavement to the enemy, and a picture of someone who's just by the skin of his teeth. You know, It seems like he has any testimony left at all, and yet he's a man of faith. So why I say that is, it's back to this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it, it is evidentiary. And we see that in that. Now, he, uh, he ends this section of uh, Hebrews in verse 7. And we're going to pick it up here next time. But he says, therefore, okay? Just before this, we've laid all this out. Therefore. When you see therefore, you always ask what it's there for. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. Listen. Today, if you hear his voice, and it goes on to say, do not harden your hearts. It's easy to harden the heart. And there were those that were, in, that were receiving this letter, and they were in danger of not listening any further and hardening their hearts to the things of God. The greatest tragedy in your life and my life is that if we hear the voice of God today through his word, we, we harden our hearts and we say no. Don't do that. Yield to him. Trust him by faith. Walk in him as you trust him in faith. Walk in faith also. Very important to do that, isn't it? Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for your word and grateful for how it presents Jesus Christ, who is better. He's better than everything. He's better than all our sin. He's better than all our doubts. He's better than than any created thing he is perfect in every way and he's lord of all things and we are grateful for that and i pray you just do your work and truly as the holy spirit speaks to us today oh lord help us have hearts ready to yield to you i pray this all in jesus name and for his sake amen